Merry, Merry Christmas time. We hope you all have had a phenomenal year so far. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Boat Rush Podcast. This is episode 009. I'm Scott Nelson with Travis Stowe. How you doing today, Travis? I'm doing pretty good. How about you, Scott? Oh, man, I'm doing good as always. Just uh, sitting here in some rainy weather right now, hoping hoping it dies out before the weekend starts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, Christmas is right around the corner. We've got a couple of days. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. Um, got some days off work, so I, I'm trying to spend some time in the woods. We'll, we'll see if it happens, if the weather holds out for it or not. Uh, either way, you should definitely get out. I mean, yeah, I don't we really have- got so much time left. Yeah, we got, uh, luckily, you know, where we're at, um, we have to end this month, and then in a couple counties, we have till till January 31st, um, got some duck season to, to get get into, and uh, see if we can get a last last moment, last part of the season buck on the ground. Most definitely. Hey, so we'd really appreciate it if you guys would go, uh, go check out Facebook, everyone's, everyone's doing it, but uh, go to Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash mybowrush. Leave a comment. Leave a question. Let us know uh, how your season went. Give us a story. Tell us uh, how things have been for you this year. Yeah, let's see some of those photos that everybody's been taking. Absolutely, and that that goes into a little bit about what today's podcast is about. Oh yes, it is. We got a really cool guest on today. You know, we've, we've covered a lot of topics in in our first eight podcasts. You know, a key aspect to you know every single guy and girl that go into the woods. They're trying to shoot something, and, and once they do, they're trying to take that picture and capture that moment, you know, so they can show everyone, you know, on, on social medias or just uh, just put it on the fridge. They want to have that picture that describes that moment. Um, so photography is a huge part of this industry, you know. So our guest we're having on today is Shane Durant. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, oddly enough, I ran to him at a fly fishing film expo a couple months ago. We start talking and, and realized that it. We're all mutual friends. You've known him for a couple years now. Kind of, what, what's your background with uh, with Shane? How do you know him, and and what's he on here to talk about today? Well, I first met Shane at a company that I was doing some work for, and he was the photographer. Um, him and I just got along really well because uh, I guess the interest. I mean, the company's an outdoor industry, and um, I was looking at some of the shots that he was taking. It was quite interesting. It was it's fascinating the way he could take photos. But so been good friends with him uh, over the period of years and just happens to be that when you look at these photos on the web, a lot of times they, they suck. And I think I, the reason why we reached out to him is because he's a professional, not only in the industry, but he takes photos and he takes it in a way that makes things look good. It brings that idea of every photo has a thousand words or a thousand meetings. And um, I think it was just it's really good to bring him on. Definitely. I think that he's got a lot of good information he's going to be sharing, and I think we should go ahead and get him on. Well, you know, Shane, welcome to our podcast. Glad to be here, for sure. If for some reason the signal goes dead, it means a tornado just took me out. Yeah, well, let's let's hope that doesn't happen, bud. Have any final words, just in case? Unless I get my camera ready and we have a repeat of 2008, that could be the case. (laughs) Jeez, man. Were you down there the last time that storm went through? Oh, you don't know about it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Shane, talk about it. I didn't even realize about things. Well, yeah, I'll make it quick. Um, in 2008, I um, was able to capture an image of the tornado that hit the, the Georgia Dome uh, during the Mississippi State Alabama game in the Final Four. And uh, it was it was 9.42 p.m. at night. And, you know, people just don't capture photos of tornadoes at nighttime, especially hitting a city. And uh, it was a very rare event. It was a very freaky event. 
Um, and in the end, I was the only person that had a picture of the tornado. And the crazy thing is, you know, these days everybody has cell phones or DSLRs or whatever, um, and not one person got a shot of this thing. It was a EF2, I think. And man, it was just like wiped the city, caused millions of dollars, and ended up being nominated for a Pulitzer Prize that year. Really? Yeah. That's pretty, insane. Pretty nuts. I mean, I didn't even know I had had a photo of the actual funnel because when we think typically of tornadoes, you think Midwest tornadoes and you know up the perfect V shape. And this thing was like just this mass um, of wind and just debris and stuff. And it was crazy, man. The guy at the, at the Weather Channel, if he had not, if I had not sent him the images to use just for self-promotion, I would, to this day, I would not have known that I had a photo of the tornado. Really? So, yeah. I know that's not what this podcast is about, but that's it's kind of background even on, on where I'm at. It, it's saving me. Like, you know, the, the economy was going to the tank and, Things were really, really rough around the house, and I wasn't getting work, and I was struggling, and it saved my career. Matter of fact, I probably would be doing something totally different right now if it were not for that tornado that night. Well, you know, talk a little bit about how you got into photography and kind of where you started at and, and kind of where you're at now and, and what your what your job in this industry is. Well, I grew up in L.A., and I don't mean Los Angeles. I mean lower Alabama. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so... It, Depending on who I'm talking to, I use that, and sometimes I tell them the truth to the end, sometimes I don't. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I grew up in Phoenix City, Alabama, and you know, my dad took me fishing and hunting as a kid, and that's kind of how I got started around the age of eight or nine. And you know, we just take my camera everywhere I went. And you know, if, it was a, if I was sitting in a deer stand, if I was in the boat taking photos of my dad fishing, whatever, and that's really what got me started. Now, when I turned 15 in high school, uh, one of the little hottie girls in my class came to me and goes, "Hey, I want to be a model." You know, yeah, I was like. Now, this is a different aspect of spin-on photography I never thought about. And so I took her and we shot some stuff. I look back at that. God, the photos were horrible. And I was like, <laughs> I can't believe I shot that. It's embarrassing. I, I would never want anybody to even see it. But And then I, I said, you know, maybe this could be a career for me. And, um, you know, I did lots of different things here and there. Started a restaurant called Phil's Barbecue in Fall, Alabama. And I uh, did landscape with my dad. And I worked for one of the largest headwear manufacturers in the world, Young Ann's, a salesperson down at Kudzu in Columbus, Georgia. And then from there, I went to art school at Art of Atlanta and um, took commercial photography, graduated around 2000, um, and came out and did nothing but assisting for the next five years. Um, I wanted to assist the top photographers in the world, which I did. Klaus Rickrath from Germany, Art Stryber from L.A. I, I did not want to be a photographer at that, point, at that point. I wanted to be an assistant to learn as much as possible. You can learn only so much in school, and it was a very small percentage I learned in school. Really, my knowledge came from working from all these other photographers out there. And that's why I tell people who's coming up in the industry, you know, they're like, hey, can you give me some advice? Yeah, and the advice is do not go out there trying to be a photographer to start with. Assist the best it's in your area that you can. And that's where you're going to learn. That's what I did. Huh. You, you took so. the, uh, I guess you would say almost the hard route, but in a sense, it probably became the better route because you got the, the knowledge from the pros. Oh, yeah, I learned about lighting and about using natural light. Is, you know, it, it is the most opportune times and, and how to use diffusers and reflectors. You know, every time I go by the park or go, you know, wherever I'm out shooting, if I'm, you know, out somewhere in a public area and I see, I see a person with an on-camera flash, whatever time of day it may be, you see a person running around taking photos of a couple, like if it looks like an engagement session, they're using an on-camera flash, you can pretty much bet they're self-taught 
and they watch some things on the internet. They think they're so sharp about it. But in reality, I use a flash about 5% of the time, and, and that's only when I have to because it is not soft light. So, Gee, Bart, you're using more natural lighting. Absolutely. Well, that kind of works with the, when you're in the, the field and outdoors. I mean, you don't really get to have the option to have preset lights. You have to use natural lighting. That's right, especially when I'm doing underwater stuff for, you know, say, Z-Man baits. If I'm having to do a video production for them and you're underwater, you don't have much of a choice. Um, and it's just about, you know, choosing things at the, the right part of the day. You know, the lower the sun is, the better your light is, the softer it is, the warmer it is. And that really ties right back into what we're going to talk about tonight with, you know, you know, trophy deer or whatever. Um, I think that if you, if you, if you're able to choose that time of day, it's better. Um, if you, if this time of year when we're in like the, the winter solstice and it's like the sun kind of stays low, even at two or three o'clock, you know, one o'clock, it's still kind of low. But if you were to try to shoot at one o'clock in July, you can forget it, man. Unless you have like some super heavy cloud cover. You're going to have harsh shadows. You're going to have super hot spots. So this time of the year, we're very fortunate to have that because it makes photography a lot easier. Huh. Makes you wonder if they planned it around that. Maybe. No. So if you're going to kill a big buck, if you're going to kill a big buck, you know, kill him like around 7.30 in the, in the morning, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, talk a little bit about that because there's just an influx of every every Joe, Dick, and Harry that has shot a big buck and they go and they, they post their pictures up on Facebook or social medias or, or submit it to different magazines, you know, to your everyday guy who's out there with, you know, a cell phone and has like one little SLR, SLR camera. What can they look for to set up a shot to give it that more natural look? It's not the, it's not the true, you know, from the 80s and 90s trophy picture of holding, holding the rack. You know, how can they really set a shot up? What are some of the characteristics that will really make that look realistic well this if we talk about what we just discussed about timing if you do shoot a deer um in the middle of the day which you know it's kind of rare but that's sometimes when you're big bucks walk you know wait till the afternoon to take your trophy shot or if you shoot it early early in the morning wait for that sun to pop up over the horizon and give you some nice warm light that's one thing you know most people these days even my dad who is 67 whatever he has a smartphone now, you may not know how to use it just yet, but everybody these days has phones that have a pretty decent camera. And if you get an iPhone, man, it's a pretty doggone good camera. And what you should go ahead and do now is go ahead and download the um, self-timer app. There's so many apps out there that make this very easy because I know mine. I've got an app. I can, I can set the, the timer to go off at, at 3 seconds, 8 seconds, 10 seconds. Because most people are hunting by themselves or you know they don't have anybody else around to take this photo. If you do have a DSLR, then obviously it's got a self-timer on it as well. And keep your tripod in the truck. You know, coming prepared just in case is like one of the most important things you can do. And that's having a tripod in the truck and making sure you have the right mount for that tripod because I, I lose mounts all the time. And then as far as like if you shoot a buck, you know, think about your surroundings. Like are you in a thicket with no background? Because really photos are better visually with depth behind them. If you're shooting on a cornfield, pull that buck out there where you can see the long cornfield behind you. Or maybe you're in a pine thicket, so you can see those rows of pines behind you. So environment is very, very important, too. Um, and then people always, especially if you have your hunting partner with you, they take the photo from, like, 
standing level. Like if you're you're standing up and you got the camera up to your face, when really a big buck, if you can get close to it, zoom out if you have a DSLR and make that rack look bigger and get in a lower stance so you're looking up at it. And that's if you look at Field and Stream or or you know if you live in Georgia, um, Georgia Outdoor News Magazine, whatever. You know, those shots are done always from a very low angle. That's called the uh, the hero shot, correct? Yep, exactly. Okay. When you're looking up at that big that big rack, you know, position the rack at you know different angles at like two o'clock, three o'clock, whatever. And you take as many shots as you can because I mean, heck, it's not like film; it's not gonna cost you anything. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many different things that make it look. You know, the thing that drives me crazy, and you know what, I'm guilty of this, but clean the deer's face off, like <laughs> wipe the nasty bloody mess off the deer because you know as a hunter we don't notice as much but you get these people out there that don't hunt and they they look at us it's shooting animals and they see this bloody tongue hanging out you know it just doesn't look good for us you know stick the i've done this stick the tongue back in stuff that tongue back in there what you got to do to make it look a little more presentable that brings up an interesting conversation, but uh, maybe two weeks ago, there was a, a podcast that came out through the Big Rug Registries, and some guy entered in a, a buck that he shot, a beautiful buck, but he didn't clean up the blood, and it was just draining down the leg. It was a great shot. The placement seemed decent, but there was so much blood, and because of that, right. he had so much controversy. Even people that were normally just like, these are awesome photos, they were attacking the photos, saying, this is improper. How could you put something up like that? And it kind of makes sense, because you are... In a sense, you're you're displaying something that some people might take completely negative, just because it, the the idea of blood makes it even worse. Absolutely, and I ask these people too when they they'll take the photo of the trophy buck after they've hung him up with the T-bar, you know, and he's, he's hanging down <laughs> and like gutted the thing, and oh man, those are my I hate those shots. I wish people would not do that at all. But, uh, when Scott and I were hunting years ago, and um, I think every time I got a deer and he was taking the photo for me, it was almost like a mug shot. I didn't even have one. My facial expression was flat. I don't know if maybe he just shot every time when I was trying to smile, but right before it seemed like I was just dead, <laughs> more dead right. than the actual deer. <laughs> and we can review. That's the thing. Like review what you've got. I mean, heck, if it's a phone, you've got, you've got the images right there. If it's a DSLR or point and shoot, you got the images right there. If it's, if it's digital and you review what you've got. And if, if, if it's a couple that you like a lot, Go back to that same position and shoot more like that. Maybe with um, the, the, the hunter that's killed the trophy buck looking at the buck and not looking at the camera. Mm-hmm. Don't ever straddle the deer. I hate that. Like, you know, get behind it and lift the, you know, lift that head up high where it looks, um, it looks even more impressive. Mm-hmm. And you know, talking about DSLR, if you are a bit of a hobbyist and you do understand your equipment, you've got nicer stuff, then you know, throw that wide-angle lens on there and get in tight and zoom all the way out. If you have that opportunity, like I use a 17 to 35 2.8 lens. I zoom all the way out at 17 millimeters and get as close as I can, especially when I'm fishing and holding up a big bass before I let it go. And those images, if you look at FLW magazines, I shoot for a lot. That's what they do. That's what makes those bass look even bigger and more impressive. You know, and I know people don't always have a, you know, 2,000 hour lens in their bag, but if you do, take that opportunity. And dude, even the iPhone, like you can go online and purchase a set of lenses for an iPhone for 60 bucks. you get a zoom, uh, a normal, and a wide-angle lens for your for your phone, and it looks amazing. Really? Yep. Hmm. I wish I could think of the name uh, of the one I have, but if you Google it, there's only like three or four out there, but if you you know put in there best reviews or whatever for the iPhone uh, lenses, 
So this set, man, matter of fact, I shot a wedding recently, and, and luckily I knew the bride fairly well. So I show up, and I leave my camera bag in the truck, and I put these three little lenses in the palm of my hand, and I walk in, and I say, hey, listen, you're in such luck today. And she's like, why? I said, because I'm shooting with this new equipment, my iPhone and these three little lenses. And she was so terrified. <laughs> I was like, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm not really doing it. I, I'm going to use it, but that's not going to be my, my main source of, of photography for sure. <laughs> you should have seen her face, man. If I would have had that on the GoPro, oh my gosh, dude, that would oh, have been insane. Classic. Absolutely. And the GoPro is great for this kind of stuff because the GoPro is wide angle. You know, you get in there tight with that thing and get up close to the rack or the fish or whatever. GoPros are great, dude. They're a little complicated. You know, if you're going to buy a GoPro, at least get the one with the, with the LC, um, uh, the, not the lens, but the, the screen for the back mm-hmm. so you can see what you're shooting. It's definitely worth it, worth the investment for that thing. It's only like 50 bucks, I think, these days. Well, you know, thinking about the, like, the mindset behind the photo, I mean, a picture means a thousand words, right? So most of the people do, as Scott was talking about, they just do a quick shot and there you go. I got I killed something here. Smile. But you know, thinking about the idea behind it, why do we want to take photos to present to show people? And why is it that like when we do take photos, what should we be thinking when we actually take it? Are we trying to tell a story or I mean, what's what's the idea of from why we do it? Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest reasons why is to show it off. I mean, you you, you get out there and you pre-scale, you scout like before season comes in and you put build stands or, you know, make food plots and you, you get this this giant buck on your on your trail cam and you hunt this guy the entire year and then rut season comes in it's a lot of work you know and you know i think these days everybody that, that, that is a hunter i would say the largest percentage we don't just shoot things and leave it like they did back in the old days we shoot things because we're conservationists we're you know out there to to do more good than harm and you work hard at this, and finally you get that big buck. You want to be able to say, "Hey, man, look!" I, because this, these deer didn't get big just because they're stupid. They're, they were just five, six, seven years old because they're super smart. You know, I think it's a big bragging thing. Plus, you know, you got competition with your buddies. You're in a hunting club, and you know, you you go through the entire year, and, and at the end of the year, you've killed that big one, and you got bragging rights the rest of the year too. Oh, definitely. Well, you know. Photography is a lot like the videography side when it comes to the hunting industry. There's a lot of guys that are up and coming, you know, that are trying to get into both of those. You know, what's what's one step or one thing to kind of push someone into that industry, into the photography side? Where can they start at to really kind of understand the the behind the scenes of what goes on? So, so I'm understand what you're saying. So you're asking <clears throat> me if, if someone's wanting to get into wildlife photography or an outdoor photographer. Yeah, you know, there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes. A lot of times we see videos and we see pictures and we see the end result. And our first instinct is, oh, I can do that. But what's some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that they need to be prepared for? All the prep work. Yeah, what's all? Well, I mean, I, I think restaging is, is goes on a lot of times, especially on TV shows. You know, if we, and this is probably easier to talk about if we talk about the trophy bass, not the trophy buck. Um because I, I've done quite a bit of video production for, you know, the fishing industry. And, you know, I hate to even say this, but a lot of times fish snatches, we put a bucket in the water, um, you know, or, or tie a huge towel on the end. Because, you know, you're, when, you, when you're doing video production, you're cutting from one thing to the next. Get a really good producer or an editor 
can make that stuff look like it was actual happening right then. I mean, there's been there have been some videos I've produced where the fish is jumping in the water and he goes back underwater and I'm I'm there under the boat chasing him around and it's really not the same fish. I don't know if we should talk about this on the, on the radio or not. <laughs> 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 but there's, there's a there's a lot. There's, I, mean, I mean, most people realize. I mean, a lot of this stuff is restaged. Like, like I shot a turkey a turkey hunt last year for Xmark, um, the lawnmower company down at Real Tree Farms. And man, it was a grueling, grueling hunt. We, we set up on a bird early. Um, a cow ran to the bottom and scared it off. It was one thirty in the afternoon before we got back on another hot bird. And it was the end of season. These birds had been hunted all year. And, um, luckily the guy that we had, the guy, man, Philip Culpepper was awesome. He, he was able to get this bird to come in with this, this crazy, uh, decoy they use. Like for the first time in years, uh, we've been able to use decoys in the state of Alabama. And they have a mounted turkey with a hinged tail on it that they can flip the tail up. And that's what brought the bird in. But, you know, we got him to come in. The 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 guy that had won the, the contest with Xmark shot the bird at about 20 yards. Well, I had to go back and reshoot us running down the road, pretending to set up the guy with the decoy, my buddy, to, you know, the, the hunter that had won the, the contest, pushing the safety off, drawing the gun, me getting different angles on that. There's a lot of hard work that goes on behind the scenes of this stuff. It's not just happening right then like it seems like on TV. So even still today, people are doing reshoots. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, I wish it could happen that way where everything's in the moment, but it doesn't always happen that way. And, it, and sometimes you get like more than one videographer. You've got two, two or three in trees around you or if you're doing turkey in the bushes behind you, different angles and, you can't always get to get the shot right. You know, if you're lucky to get the kill shot, that's great, but it doesn't always happen that way. You know, kind of going into what you said earlier about like prep work, I heard a while back is that with your kill shot, you know, you're going for a certain animal to one day before you go to maybe check out a taxidermy place and see if you can get a pair of eyes of the animal that you're wanting to go after. And the reason for it, when you usually kill an animal and you look at the photos and that animal, their eyes are always glossy. But then when you look at high professional photography that people have done for production or uh, different types of magazines, if you look at their eyes, they look fairly nice. It's either the digitally photo touched up or they've had a set of eyes they over, like lay over the eyes so it will, I guess, look better. But uh, is, that, I mean, is that true? Is that something that some people should think about doing? I've never heard of that. You've never it heard of it? Mean that- does not mean it doesn't exist. Okay. I mean, yeah. I've heard of Sasquatch, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, they're real. <laughs> Come on. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it would probably work, uh, but I, I honestly, I can't answer that because I don't, I've never heard of Okay. <laughs> Airbrushing for hero <laughs> shots. <laughs> Make up. I'm sure there's an alpha out there for that. I just thought that was kind of interesting. I've never heard of it, but I could, uh, I would think so, but plopping those eyes in there, that could be interesting too. I don't know if that would, I don't know. <laughs> well, is he talking about going to the taxidermy and taking taking photos of that animal already done up so no, that no. you can replace them? No, no. As in, he I says think he's that getting you can eyes. Yeah, getting the actual <laughs> eyes themselves, the little slit, like the uh, placements that you slide into the animal when they're actually doing the taxidermy. It's just a little tiny slip. And <laughs> so he goes that whenever you kill the animal, instead of just taking a photo, if you look at the animal, their eyes are always glossy. And so when you slide over these fake eyes, it makes them a little bit more like pop. They make them look real alive. That, that yeah, you might be laughing, but I mean, I've heard it. Obviously, there is he some. He set you up on this one, Travis. <laughs> Maybe. Probably, he was like, He's going to talk about us on the air. <laughs> yeah, and, and all those pictures of Kim Kardashian are real, too. 
<laughs> well, you know, they sell those to taxidermists too as well. <laughs> That's the flashing signs you see going down the highway going into Florida. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. You know, we, you know, going back to, I think I missed something a minute ago talking about, um, you know, if you kill that big buck or something, you know, also make sure that there's nothing in the foreground and the background that's going to, like, in the way. I mean, make sure there's no grass that's, that's going to be, like, straight up the deer's nose. You know, think about the things that are around you. And that's what I was saying even before is, you know, you don't have to sh- take photos of the deer right where he's laying. You know, drag him to wherever you think is, is the best. That's what I was talking about with the background with, you know, a lot, of, a lot of depth in the background. And then I think, you know, we were talking about flash earlier. You know, there there are exceptions when you could use it, but open shade is always the best. And if you have an area that is solid shade, you're much better off than if you're shooting it with the sun hitting you because most likely somewhere along your the hunter or the deer, there's going to be what we call specular lighting. And that means that you've got a shadow here and then two inches over here you have sun and three inches over here is more shadow. You know, it's, it looks very distracting. So I always try to put the, the, the animal in, in completely open shade if possible. And if you have like a little overcast day, you're good to go. You're going no matter what. Because that's going to be, uh, like, you know, I shot for real tree the other day on, on a uh, stage dove hunt, and it was a little overcast. They were like, oh, God, we wish the sun would come out. I was like, no, we don't want the sun to come out. This is, this is like the most, the most giant softbox you could think about, which gives you the best light. And luckily these days with DSLRs, you can push the ISO, which is what we used to call film speed, mm-hmm. really high, and you still have a great shot. And that's still possible even with people that, let's say, don't necessarily have the high-end cameras. They could have just a pocket camera or an iPhone or an Android of some sort. Having a cloud sure. cover is even helps in that situation. Absolutely. Hmm. And, you know, if, if you have, uh, if you do want to use a flash, the only time I use it is when something is backlit. If you have a sunset that's sitting right over a lake, Maybe it's sitting right over the end of, of a peanut field, and you do want to backlight because when you can backlight, it gets a little tricky. And typically, only people who really know what they're doing will do this. But it gives you a nice what we call a rim light, and that's to highlight along, you know, the hair or the shoulders, especially on the animal. It highlights, you know, the top part of the, of the back. Mm-hmm. But you have to use a flash to do that because if you don't, you overexpose, or the camera will automatically try to underexpose it because it's getting confused. It tries to look at the entire photo, and it gives you a, you know, an exposure that's supposed to make the photo look good. And sometimes it does not happen that way. But if you have a flash, that's the time you use it. It'll definitely work when you do that. Is there ever a chance that people use, or does it even make sense, to try to take a screenshot from a video? Because there's been times when, let's say, you have it recording you know at least you're going to get a good shot from the guy maybe having their eyes open, closing. It might be you know just not in the perfect place, but if they're at least if you're recording, you're going to get every frame in a sense. But when you try to take a screenshot from that, does that actually work out? Do you think that's still a good idea, or is it really you need to just work at trying to get the right shot? So it's an okay idea if you have a $50,000 camera like a Red Epic. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> typically... You know, even with a with a Canon 5D Mark III, if you're shooting at 30 frames a second, getting a sharp image is going to be tough. And then if you want to make a you know print out of it, it's going to be it's going to be even tougher. And most people aren't going to have a $5,000 camera in their bag or in their truck. They're going to have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing getting a screenshot from an iPhone video, if you're going to use it in the largest format, you're going to view it on as your iPhone. You're good. But if you go putting it on a TV or make it try to make it big out of it, you can forget it. Not going to work. No. Mm-mm. You know, and too, you know, sometimes if, if 
I know I think about this constantly when I'm when I'm fishing. If I catch a giant fish, matter of fact, I have a locker in my boat that's full of of branded merchandise: uh, Lawrence, uh, Z-Man baits, Carolina Skiff boats, whatever. Because if I catch that giant fish, because these companies are so good to me and have been over the years. <laughs> I shouldn't say this on the air, but I'll put a shirt on. It may say Lorance, Lorance hat, and I'll take a I'll put it with fish, and then I'll take that off, and I'll put on my, my lose shirt and lose hat and take a photo of the fish. So even if you're a deer hunter, you know, when you take a picture of that trophy buck, if it's a really giant, a really big giant, you know, make sure you you have some branding in there because down the road you might be able to get some free stuff out of that. It's free swag, man. Nobody can be upset about free swag. You know, oh, if you yeah. use, you know, Nikon scope, make sure they can see that. You know, if you're, Wearing real tree, make sure you got something on that says real tree, because mm-hmm. that could be beneficial in the end. When you're bringing up the clothing, that actually just brought up something that I've seen multiple times with photos. When people have orange on and they take the photo, have you ever noticed that it seems like the clothing, the camo, has this extra glow? No, it just it doesn't normally look like what you would see naturally because the orange almost outweighs the other colors around it. Now, how do you correct this? You just take the orange off and never really have it when you're taking your photos? Yeah, I'm not sure if I've seen what you're talking about, but as a photographer, thinking of that sense, it's probably a camera that's set on a very automatic setting, and the camera's trying to read that orange, trying to read everything around it, and it's probably overexposing the photo, which makes whatever's the brightest thing in the photo be brighter and probably give off more light. So that's probably what's happening is, is you know, using that, that uh, more, I guess, automatic exposures inside your camera could cause that. Yeah, I would probably just take it off and place it something else. You don't have to have orange on there. Well, you know, kind of going back and talking about, are, are there some just basic things that they can, you know, go outside and practice, you know, whether it's just in, in their backyard or just taking an object and learning how to do different shots? And it, it goes back to having the right equipment. You know, it's having that, that wide-angle lens, 17 to 35 to to get in there, you know, as tight as possibly. If you're able to, to afford those lenses, that's awesome. And, you know, at, at, talking about that, 2.8, that may not make sense to hardly anybody out there, but you're, you know, camera, you have to say a camera system is kind of like you do a stereo system. Like, you know, people put the money in their speakers, not really in the radio or the receiver. And as a photographer, you put your money in the lenses, not the camera as much. Mm-hmm. Those, that, two, that 2.8 means it's opening up all the way, especially if you're trying to get into shooting wildlife, you know, not necessarily maybe shooting, a, you know, a trophy animal, it's been shot, but shooting, you know, live wildlife, you've got to have a 2.8 lens. And that just means you can shoot late in the afternoon with the with the sun already set and still got a great shot because that lens is open all the way up. Well, is that 2.8 and just kind of going over some, some things for people who are listening, does that 2.8, um, is that in reference to the millimeter, the angle, or is that in reference to the aperture? So the, F, the F-stop, which is, which is the actual a- aperture, they come in, you know, a, a very broad range, all the way up to on some cameras back in the day, it would go all the way to f64, which means everything is in focus. Mm-hmm. At f2.8, not to get too technical here, but if f2, if you're at 2.8, your depth of field is going to be so shallow, you better be, you better know that what you're shooting is is, is dead on with the focus, mm-hmm. because it's not going to have a lot of a variable from the background to the foreground. If you're shooting something like yesterday. I was shooting for real tree doing a duck hunt, and I had about three or four hunters in the water in, in a flooded cypress um, area. And because they were so staggered, they were within two to three feet in the front of each other and behind each other, I had to take my F-stop up to like 5.6 or 6.0. Mm-hmm. 
which means they're all going to be sharp. Mm-hmm. 2.8, one person is going to be sharp, and that's it. I know this is getting a little bit over some people's head, but that's kind of what the, the aperture does. I mean, it's all about depth of field. So basically it's less forgiveness. Yes, but when you use a very wide-angle lens, it actually works to the photographer's advantage because um, more things are in focus. Like when I do videography, if I'm going to be moving around a lot, I'll get that wide-angle lens and zoom all the way out because my depth of field, the forgiveness will be much greater than If you're shooting a 70 to 200 lens and you're zoomed all the way out at 200 millimeter and you're at 2.8, you don't have any forgiveness. You better bet, you better know that what you're shooting dead on with that focus. Does it have any advantage or disadvantages when it comes to the actual camera? These days, you've got Nikon and Canon, which are leading the industry. Really, it's like Ford and Chevrolet. They're both incredible cameras, but Sony is coming on really strong. They said in the next few years, Sony could surpass Nikon and Canon because the Sony cameras, especially with so many photographers these days getting into videography, I've used the Sony A99, which is their big DSLR, and it has uh, things called peaking which help you look at the back screen to, to, to focus. It's got a removable screen on the back that goes up and down, lifts left to right, horizontal, vertical. Um, it, it shoots at uh, 60 frames per second at 1080p, which is the best you can get, which means you can do slow motion and editing. Canon Nikon doesn't offer that in a full-frame camera. They only offer it in um, a smaller frame camera, which means... In the end, your editing is not, this is getting very technical again, but <laughs> the, they kind of just came out with a 70D, which, which is, in, is an awesome camera. It retails for 1800 bucks. It shoots 60 frames a second at 1080p, which means you can do that slow motion with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sony cameras, the DSLR, which is the, you know, the A99, which is like kind of competition with the Canon 5D, it shoots 60 frames a second at 1080, like I think it should. My kind of Canon doesn't do that at a full frame. I don't know why. Hmm. I think Sony will. I've used all all systems. I think Sony. And if I had to do over again, I would buy all. I would start over and buy all Sony. That's interesting. Even really? for for yeah. outdoors to any type of environment, you'd only you'd pretty much prefer Sony. I would if I, if I could start over. You know, I've been building on a Canon system for twenty years. You know, I've got like five lenses and two bodies and all the flashes and da da da. It goes on and on and chargers. If I could start over. With the money I, that I've invested in what I have, I would, I would buy Sony, no doubt my mom. <laughs> and, and the Sony cameras are getting smaller and more and easier to use and more compact with the same power these big DSLRs have. It's unbelievable. You just have to do a little research on it. There's a, there's a very, very good form out there called Planet 5D. And um, it's one of those things where you get an email every day and it kind of tells you about the new things that are happening. But... You join, it's free to join. Planet 5D and it sends you stuff. If you read up on their reviews on cameras, you'll, it'll make more sense what I'm talking about. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, so if someone wants to get a hold of you to run questions by you or to to bring you on to do a shoot or help help them out with some shoots, how can they get a hold of you? Pay me $10,000. I'm just kidding. I don't charge anything. <laughs> if, they, if they wanted to contact me, it, it's pretty simple. Um www.shanedurance.com that's S-H-A-N-E D-U-R-R-A-N-C-E.com um, I even I put my number out there because it's you know it's all about business it's 678-523-8837 and if you're um, if you're a father and you have a gorgeous daughter and you own lots of land you can call she can call me anytime <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Anytime. It doesn't even matter if it's three in the morning. No, just kidding. Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, just... it, you can, I, unfortunately, my life is, a, is an open book. If someone is in touch with me, they always Google my name. But despite the two mug shots that come up, which is not me, um, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> it's, it's for this before you got the plastic surgery and the, and the face correction. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, any, anything else you want to you want to touch on, Travis? Yeah, actually, there was something that I've always thought of, and I maybe it's just me, but every time I take a photo with my camera, uh, I usually just have my iPhone because it's the simplest thing. But I know everybody has this point of view. And it's, they're usually saying it needs to be level. And I've always started taking shots that maybe aren't necessarily level. You have it crooked a little bit. But uh, when it comes to, let's say, a shot placement, especially even a kill shot, and you're trying to do this, hey, cool, look what I killed. I don't usually like putting something right in the center. There's always something oh, that yeah, you composition. Always, there you go, yeah. composition. I always either try to put it to the left or try to put it to the right, but show more of the environment as well. Um, but it means that's... R- the rule of thirds. Okay. Um there you go. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? Just because I don't know why I do it that way, but I just I, to me it looks better. But why is that? Yeah, composition is is you know I, composition can be learned, but that's sometimes that's what makes a, a person who's a natural natural because composition just comes to them. And what I typically like doing is if you're if you're sitting there with that big twelve pointer and you're looking, you know, if you're looking off at two o'clock, then Typically, as a photographer, you want to put more space on the side they're looking towards, and it just that. And talking about rule of third, that's kind of what that is. You don't ever want to put more space um, on the opposite side of where they're looking because they're looking right into the edge of the photo. Um, and that's that's something that that definitely you you kind of have to get used to. Once you start doing that, you'll notice you do it without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And composition, man, is like that is key. You got to have that. It's not going to be a good photo, you know, usually anyway. Yeah, and you know what? If you're going to go out there and practice and stuff, shoot heavy right and then heavy left, and you'll look at the photos and go, "Now, why does it look better? And why does this one not look as good?" And that's usually why, because the rule of thirds has been applied to that, and you've given that that person or that animal space in the direction where they're looking. It just it just works. Well, I think it's I think it's setting up a more natural shot. I mean, if someone is looking to the left, and you know you have a very small amount of space on that side, you're like, okay, what are they looking at? And they have a full field behind them. It doesn't kind of set right. up an, a, the, na- the nature of the shot. Sure. But Cause, you know, Think about if you were if you were doing a video of somebody walking down the street. Now, if you put them, and they're walking to the right, and you put the edge of the frame right there in their face, it's going to be weird. But if you position where they have space in front of them where they're walking to, it's just natural. It's just the way... You know, it's just, it's, it's just what I'm saying. It, it just works for some reason. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense to do that, I guess. Yeah. Now, I've heard you say this a few times, and I kind of wanted to get your your true under, like point to this. True photographers don't use Photoshop. I I don't. I wouldn't say true photographers. I would say that that too many people go, oh, well, we can just Photoshop that. Well, no, you fix that crap now so that you don't have to Photoshop it later. Fix that now. I don't care what it is. If you can fix it now, do it now instead of later. I Photoshop when I have to. And if let's let's talk about programs real quick because I think Photoshop is one of the greatest things that ever happened. But I think that Lightroom is the second greatest thing that ever happened because 
you can go through images and, and edit groups of them, lighting, saturation, contrast, clarity, um, uh, vignetting. I mean, it's just the, the, the amount of things that we can do now with groups of photos is incredible to a program called Adobe Lightroom. Um, and it's these days, it's $9.99. And here, I'm not working for Adobe. I'm not promoting for them. It's a great deal. You can get a photography special. It's $9.99 a month to get Photoshop and Lightroom as a package. And man, you can't beat that. That's actually a really good deal. Yeah. I know. And let me tell you, I can, I can, with Lightroom 5 now, I can actually take a headshot and edit the entire shot with like, sharpening with um, what we'd call the rubber stamp in Photoshop with all this. I can do everything in Lightroom. I don't have to send the, to send the shot to Photoshop hardly ever after that anymore. And there's, there is tons. When you open Lightroom, if you've never looked at an editing program, it's going to blow your mind. You're going to be like, holy crap, what, what is this and what am I going to do? But there are so many free tutorials out there these days um, on YouTube. I, I sat and watched for two days. I, I watched... Um, tutorials and I learned the entire program in two days and it was all free uh, I, could, I could talk about this all night give me something to spark yeah, so, well you know we, we talk about oh, wait, wait, side. Hey, wait hey hold that thought I've got I've got the biggest tip right now I'm going to give you guys you ready for this go for I'm it listen. Costa luckily I'm I've been able to get my hands on a pair of Costas and get on their pro staff and I use those sunglasses all the time with my iPhone. I'll be at the lake fishing or I'll be out there, you know, uh, wakeboarding or something. And I take those coasters and I hold them over the lens of my iPhone and take photos. And guess what that does? It's a polarizer. A good polarizer these days for DSLR costs you 300 bucks. A good pair of coasters over the end, over the front lens of your iPhone is an amazing polarizer for your images. It'll, it'll like, <laughs> Bring out colors in the leaves. It'll, it'll take the glare off the water. That's a tip. I don't give that to everybody. There you go. <laughs> that is awesome. I'll have to give that a shot. <laughs> but uh, that, that will that will also cost you 300 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, if it's me, it would cost me about well over 1000 because it seems like when I have Costa Del Mar as well, and um, sure enough, I've lost three of them. I've broken one, and uh, so I'm on my fourth pair. Fifth pair. Jeez. Good so, Lord. Yeah, so that's like two fifty a pop every time or more. Oh, lovely. Well, you know, well, mommy had to bring my coaches around you. No, oh, that was back then. I'm more careful now. <laughs> okay. He's he he has a he has a kid now. He's learned how to baby things and not, and <laughs> yeah. not, dro- and not drop them. You're right. <laughs> but you know, so give us a little overview of what you've done. You know, this season, or if you have something, some cool hunt that you you got to do personally. Well, I've been you know, I've been very blessed. I got to tell you. When it comes down to it, I just had a magazine do an article um, on me this year called Late Life Magazine, and they called me the um, the metrosexual redneck of Atlanta. And you know what? I can't be upset about that because I have been deer hunting at 6 in the morning and end up at Club Havana or Tongue and Groove or whatever at night. That's a true story. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, really when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm a country boy. And that's what I do. And, and I look forward to getting back to Alabama where I'm from, you know, to go fishing with my dad or, or getting a tree stand. And um, and luckily this year I was able to hook up with Realtree, and uh, we we're working on a program now uh, for the buyers. It'd be a, a stock program where uh, Bass Pro, Gander Mountain Academy Sports will be able to go to the site that I'm building, and they'll be able to pull images off of there 
in accordance to their sales or whatever they're trying to promote in-store, and they can pull those images uh, and use them for in-store display. And that has, like, opened a lot of doors for me, and um, I've done a duck hunt this year, a staged dove hunt, a staged bow hunt. I'm going to Arkansas on Friday. Um, now, I'm going out there to shoot. I'm doing my hands in the air, like quotations, to shoot some ducks. But, you know, I'm going to take all the real tree stuff with me. And hopefully none of them listen to this, this podcast. But um, <laughs> to, to do some do some stuff out in Arkansas, um, and, you know, it's opened up some doors for me as far as their partners. I mean, they've got, you know, bad boy buggies and, you know, browning and, I mean, Hoyt bows. It just goes on and on. And I would even, you know, hopefully next year be able to go to the shot show with these guys. And it would get me back home to Alabama where I want to be. I'm not a city boy. I live in the city, and I have had enough. The quicker I can get back to the country, the better off I want to be. Absolutely. Because huh. you know what? If you live you live in Atlanta, we have to hunt on five acres in the middle of a neighborhood. You know, and even though the state record was killed last year on about eight acres in Fulton County, which is nuts, um, I want to be sitting on 300 acres. You know, so I don't have to hear cars go by as I'm sitting in my deer stand in the afternoon. Oh yes, the worst. Getting <laughs> in, the, you're in the tree stand, and a car comes by, and all they do is honk the horn. Oh yeah. Oh, because they can see you sitting in the stand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that or yeah. your truck's on the side of the road, and they come by and they just sit there and honk. Yeah, that's when I start shooting birds. And I don't mean with my shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is great. We've talked about programs. We've talked about DSLRs. Talked about iPhone ah, composition, lighting, using a flash. What else? Do you have, do you, do you have any? Do you have a hunting story from this year? Anything, anything you got to go out and, and actually shoot, not with a camera. Um, to shoot with the camera? No, no without the, the camera, without like the, a, a weapon. Actually, oh, actual, the camera. actually, actually I, shooting. Well, you know, I killed my first deer with a bow this year, and that's um, awesome. Congratulations! And you know, thanks. And and it, it was a little embarrassing. I wish I had someone to film it because you know I practiced for you know a couple weeks with this. I have a, a Hoyt carbon spider, and and I practiced in the yard and. I was like, there is nothing to this. Let me tell you, because the technology these days on compounds are so insane. And I get back there, and I get in the stand. It's, it's morning two, and out walks a three-pointer. And I'm like, huh, I got this. There's nothing to this. And I go to pull it back, and I can't do it. And I'm like, what? So I, 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 I pause for a minute, take a couple deep breaths. I go to pull it back, and I'm the adrenaline's pumping. Even though it's this little three-pointer, I'm so nervous. I just can't do it. I'm shaking. And I got so frustrated with myself. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it this time. And the third try, I pull it back, which was awesome. Except for then he steps behind some trees and I had to hold it for five minutes until this guy <laughs> walks out. You know, and luckily he was like, you know, 20 yards. And I stick him and he ran maybe you know, 20, 30 more yards and it's done. But, you know, that it was so exciting, man. I got to tell you, I don't know if I'll ever, ever gun hunting, you know, because it's just too easy. And, you know, you get in there, you got to be close to the deer. You've got, uh, you know, all that movement you've got to do, pulling the bow back. It's so much more technical. Um, the bow hunting thing, man, I'm going to ever do anything else ever again besides bow hunting when it comes to deer. So See, I'm right there with you. So, uh, and, you know, I listen, dude, if a 12-point walks out, I'm screwed, dude. I could have, like, <laughs> I'm going to throw a rock at him. They're off killing with a rock. <laughs> so you, you've officially experienced a bow rush. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't imagine a trophy walking out. I would just. I don't know. I just have a heart attack. Father, should be done. It's so funny. I 
I've heard that story so many times about you know it, uh, even even a doe walking out and just there's such an adrenaline for it that you don't even expect that you're 70 pounds that you sit here and shoot 20 or 30 arrows through a day you can't pull back and it's just, it's like it's like someone has, someone has tied the strings together and it will not move and it's just that <laughs> it, that that is a crazy feeling to, to have your muscles lock up like that it's 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 awesome though yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. yeah, this was a, a really good podcast, man. I'm I'm really glad you came on and uh, sharing with us. Thanks for inviting me, for sure. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Thank you, man. All right. Later. You got it. Bye. Well, I think that was a, a great interview with uh, Shane. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's just got so much knowledge when it comes to the actual photography side of this industry. Um, a lot of advice, a, a lot of good how-to tips, and, and just suggestions on how to get better. And uh, it's because it's he's been doing it for what twenty years now, and a long time. yeah, I, I don't think this is some guy just coming off the side of the road and say, "Hey, I got a camera, I can shoot." I mean, he's been in the industry; he knows what he's doing. Off where it's just personal, as well as when he's doing things for the companies. And I think it's a lot of things he had to say was uh, valuable for I would think anybody. Oh, definitely. You know, he talked about everything from just basic techniques to software to cameras um, and equipment that you need. You know, so, you know, really dive into some of that. Feel free to reach out to him. Um, go to www.shanedurance.com um, or his phone number. Check out our, our show notes for any of, any of the other information you need about getting hold of Shane. Yeah. Also, if you get a chance, go check us out on iTunes. Uh, leave a comment. Um, r- rate us on there if you would. Help us expand this this Bow Rush podcast family and get more information to the people that are really out, really out there looking for more answers. So if you go to iTunes.com forward slash the Bow Rush podcast and leave a comment there, we'll we'll get going. It's backwards, <laughs> isn't it? I knew it. No, you, it's not the Bow Rush. It's, it's uh, mybowrush.com my forward slash iTunes. Oh, and on top of that, if you'd like to check out our show notes, go to mybowrush.com forward slash 009. It'll take you right to the page. You can read out more information about Shane and photography uh, and check out all the other episodes that we've done so far. I'd like to say thank you to the people from Google because so far we're growing. And the good part is that Facebook is growing a little bit in numbers. Twitter is growing. But Google which is interesting. They're Google Plus. We've gotten about 45,000 views strictly from Google Plus. So big props to that. That's, I think, so far been one of our biggest push in helping us grow. So thank you for that. As Shane Durant would say, get out of the city, get to the country, and go get a bow rush. Grandma got run over by a reindeer walking to the house on Christmas Eve. That's not gonna work. Yeah, no. and I would I would comment on the tone deafness, but I'm I can't carry tune in a bucket. Oh, so, <laughs> so as always, you guys, I'm Scott Nelson. I'm Travis Stowe. This has been another episode of the Bow Rush Podcast. We hope you have a very merry Christmas. Enjoy the last part of your season, and go get a bow rush. Merry Christmas.